If you have a Bible, you can get a head start and turn to 2 Corinthians. That's where Pastor Steve is going to be beginning this morning. Uh, Pastor Steve comes to us originally from Calvary Joshua Springs by way of Calvary Fort Smith, Arkansas, where he shepherded the flock for 16 years. I did the math. I think you started there about the time that I started as an assisting pastor in New Jersey. Um, but his journey has taken him back to Southern California, where he is the, the founder and leader of Stage 4 Ministries. He's going to be sharing uh, much more about his journey and his story this morning. So I'm going to get out of the way and ask that you would please welcome with your hands, Pastor Steve Marquez. You know, it kind of has to be pointing at you for it to work. There we go. I tried to move it in a different spot this time, and it didn't because it was moving around and all that stuff. Okay. Anyway, um, so I am going to, there we are. So the title of the message today is Rough Seas Ahead, and um, it's kind of a surfer theme. I didn't talk about this earlier, but... I took these pictures um, at Huntington Beach, and um, actually, no, th this one was at uh, a place called The Wedge, and uh, it's a place where about two feet of water, you can have like 10-foot or 15-foot waves, and these surfers catch these waves, and they skim right along the surface, and then uh, at certain points, there's a shoot back, and so the two waves hit together, and it's not uncommon for one of them to go flying like 20 feet in the air. And then there was a guy that used to sit there at the beach with a, uh, in a wheelchair with a sign that said, do not surf at the wedge, because so many people will wipe out like this and end up broken back, broken arms, all that sort of thing. But uh, rough seas ahead. Um, like I said, this is kind of a surfer theme. Um, just because I had the pictures and, they, and it, I thought it looked cool. So uh, I didn't have any pictures of the first century when Jesus was walking on water and all that stuff. I wish I did. If I was there, I would have. <laughs> um, so Paul wrote to his friends, uh, the Corinthians, a staggeringly transparent letter about his difficulties, his depression, and even closeness to despair. As Paul was transparent, I want to tell you a little about my story, my battle with cancer, and the grace that carried me in it all. Today's message is entitled, Rough Seas Ahead. We'll spend most of our time in Psalm 107, but uh, first we're going to look at 2 Corinthians 1. And it says, For I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were so burdened beyond measure, above strength, so that we despaired even of life. Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a death, and does deliver us, in whom we trust that he will still deliver us. You, also helping together in prayer for us, that thanks may be given to, by many, uh, by many persons on our behalf, for the
for the gift granted to us through mercy, or through many. There we go. So you could see one of the things that really stood out to me in, that, in those verses is where he says we had the sentence of death in ourselves. And as I, I'm going to talk today about uh, the things that I went through, and I was close to death several times. And uh, I felt like I had the sentence of death within me. And I had to get to the point where I no longer trusted in myself, but in God who raises the dead. Now, that doesn't mean I'm perfect, and it doesn't mean I'm, I get everything right, but it does mean that I've made a conscience choice, a conscious choice to say, I want, uh, I want God to take care of me. He's the one who raises the dead. Before we get into the study, let me tell you a little bit about our ministry. So after going through an intense battle with cancer, we looked around for help in our area in Fort Smith, and um, we couldn't find uh, anywhere, or we found a lot of our organizations like the American Cancer Society helping with physical and even the emotional needs, but very few helping with spiritual needs. Even large churches that I've contacted over the years, they don't have anything like that where there's uh, strong spiritual care for terminally ill patients. And that's why my wife, Monica, and I started Stage 4 Ministries. Stage 4, because it's Stage 4 cancer that I've been battling for eight years. And what we do is we listen, we encourage, and pray for people in their Stage 4 of life. These are people who are battling a difficult situation like terminal illness, or even as a caregiver, we want to minister to those people. We're a triage ministry. After listening, encouraging, and praying, we find them a church in their area where they can get personal spiritual care that they need. So I travel around to different churches. Um, my wife comes with me. And um, she's my caregiver, even to this day, with everything that I have to go through. And uh, so she takes care of me, which is great. Um, but we travel around, and uh, I told my story to a lot of different churches. And, and it was great for that time, but I could only be in one place at a time. And, um, and I could encourage that group of people, which was amazing. For me, I'm just blown away that God allows me to do it. But then I thought, uh, and, and I'm sure it was from the Lord, to write a book about it. And then I could be in more places, you know, then I can be more than one place at a time. So I wrote a book, and it's right here. It's called uh, One Man's Journey, Grace for the Battle of My Life. And, um, and it tells my story, part of what you're going to hear today. So we're in the process of developing a curriculum for churches to use in small groups for terminally ill patients and their caregivers. So uh, what this is, this is a hardback cover, a hardback of my book. And uh, these are very limited editions. So if you get one of these, they're worth like less than they're printed, I'm sure. But <laughs> no, <laughs> I, only a few people have these. I did a limited run on these ones. but. 
Um, and as you can see, they don't even have the barcodes in the back, so they weren't really for sale. So um, what this is for is uh, the curriculum package that we're putting together. So it will consist of uh, a, a binder that will have their questions uh, in it. What, what's going to happen is we'll have, um, there's 12 chapters, and we'll do 10 uh, questions per chapter. Five uh, questions will be for group discussion, and then five questions will be for uh, the personal reflections in their journal. And so this would have all the questions in it, the 10 questions per chapter, and then space in here in the pages to write your answers for those questions. And then uh, this journal, it comes with a pen, which is really cool. It looks really nice. It's not really that great, but it's, it's nice. I mean, it's usable. And then the, this, the uh, paper is moleskin paper, so it's a, it's a specific kind of paper which, is, um, which lasts a long time. So it doesn't just fade away immediately. So um, what these are are legacy pieces. As a stage four cancer patient, I want to make sure that something outlives me, right? And so this journal is for me to write down something in reflection to those questions. So the questions aren't going to be something they have to answer exactly. They're just jumping questions to be able to say, you know, how are you feeling right now? Um, you know, that could be, I feel horrible. You know, and that's the answer. <laughs> But that's not what I, what I really want to do. What I want to really want to do is say um, something like, um, what would your 15-year-old son or what would your, your daughter want to hear you say after you're gone? Oh, OK, let me write that down. You know, what, what does it mean to think that God's asleep while you're going through all the difficulties you're going through? Oh, wow, I need to write that down. Are you dealing with depression right now? Are you like Elijah sitting in a cave? Oh, I got to write that down. And that's the kind of stuff. They're just bouncing questions so that, that I can go, and those are just off the top of my head right now. I, I'm sure once we get some del deliberation and lots of prayer into it, these questions will be deeper, or maybe not. I don't know. <laughs> but um, it'll be for the person to be able to hand down. I did these on purpose to be uh, very, they're very they're expensive, okay, um, but they're they're legacy pieces to be able to to last. You know the leather on here can last over 100 years. The paper probably like a, a good 30, 40, 50 years. How nice would it be? Um, my my wife has a um, has a checkbook from her Grammy, and inside there's a note, and and her Grammy was writing. Uh, to her mom. And, and she pulled that out, and she was looking at that and how special that was. And it was just nothing. I, I can't even remember what it was. It was just something real simple, right? But it was something neat. And how precious that is. You know, this is like, what, probably 40 years later? <laughs> and pulling that out and looking at my wife, she's like just staring at me. Okay. I don't know if it's right or not. But, but so anyway, she, it's this... Um, it's so precious to be able to do that. And, and how much more so as you could see your, your dad or your mom going through this battle and then to have insight in these books.
So how we would, would uh, go about the cost is stage four ministries would cover part of it, and then uh, the churches would cover part of it, and then, and then as it trickles down to the, the actual person, the, the caregiver or the cancer patient, and they uh, would probably cover just a little bit, whatever's left that they would cover. So it's just really neat. Um, I'm, I'm praying that that's how it works out. We'll see what the Lord does. But uh, if you, I'm not selling anything, just so you guys are thinking, oh, what do I'm not selling anything at all. I'm asking you to pray for this. It's very special to me. And um, it's really close to my heart. So these are my personal journals right here. And so I will have these uh, for me to pass down to my kids. But, um, and, but pray for this, because... I think this has a lot of potential so that now we're not only, we just didn't just um, uh, be in more than one place, you know, with a book, but now we can actually minister to people in more than one place. And that's even more special. And then it's outside of us, too. It's no longer just my wife and I, you know, uh, talking to people, but actual people who are leaders who are, or pastors that can know how to talk to cancer patients, know how to talk to uh, and comfort um, people who are going through an intense part of a time in their life. And so this is very special. So if you could pray for that, pray the Lord provides for that, takes care of that, because I, I just really believe that he will, and I'm looking forward to him doing some great things with it. So with that being said, um, I'm going to read a couple of scriptures to you. Uh, the first one, and you can probably see them on the screen. It's, let me make sure I got everything right here. Oh, one more thing. Uh, we're in the beginning prayer stages of a Stage 4 Ministries conference and vacation for those that are going through Stage 4 level illnesses or their caregiver. So we have a place, uh, a, a fellowship has graciously offered their, um, their uh, facility for us to be able to do it. Um, lots of nice hotels around there. It happens to be in Las Vegas. So, um, and so hopefully they don't gamble everything away. No, I'm just kidding. But, they, but it's a, a place for them to go to that's kind of a resort type of thing and um, to be able to be ministered to. Um, we hope to have uh, financial people there. We hope to have uh, nurses or doctors there to be able to talk to them about that aspect. And then um, also spiritual care, which is the, the primary focus of the conference. So it'd be like a two or three day conference. Again, trying to make it as inexpensive as possible for the cancer patient and their caregiver because this might be the last time they ever get to go anywhere. So how precious would that be, right? I think. Okay, I think that was it. Uh, if you'd like to know more information about us and our ministry, we have a table right outside. Um, and uh, there's, a, there's a soft cover of my book. If you want a hard cover, you can order it on our, on our website. But um, there's a, we have soft cover books uh, there. And, uh, we, but we would like to uh, pray with you and talk to you after you hear the message today. Um, just go ahead and head over there. Or you can also look at our website, which is www.stage4ministries.com. And you can sign up for our newsletter there as well. Okay, today's study. It says in Matthew 8, 23 through 27, Now, when he got into a boat, his disciples followed him, and suddenly a great tempest arose on the sea, 
so that the boat was covered with the waves, but he was asleep. Then his disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us, we are perishing. But he said to them, Why are you fearful, O you little faith? Then he arose, rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. So the men marveled, saying, Who can this be that even the winds and the sea obey him? Um, do you remember back years and years ago, um, they used to say, what is your Indian name? Do you guys ever remember that? Because like, usually, like, it's really weird, because I'm in this really weird world where in California, words change. So like, you can't call Indians Indians. You have to call them Native Americans, right? Which, but in Arkansas, <laughs> all the Cherokee and, the, and, and all those people, I'm like, what do you call yourselves? Uh, I call ourselves Indians. What do you mean? <laughs> I mean, it's like, we're, so it's really weird. But like, what's your Indian name? And I always think of this one, Little Faith. You know, like Jesus says, <laughs> Jesus says, hey, Little Faith. You're Little Faith. <laughs> so, um, oh, and by the way, I love your flag. The, the Wichita flag. I got to get one. Do you guys like that flag or not? Isn't it awesome? Oh, you don't like <laughs> Somebody, okay, that's okay. There's one in every crowd. Um, so, but, but when I first came on uh, from the airport, I first uh, walked into the airport, I saw that. And I was like, oh, that's a cool design. Um, so the next one is almost exactly the same. It comes out of Luke chapter 8, verses 22 through 25. And it says, now it happened on a certain day. Now, this is kind of scary talking about this, because in the book of Job, in Job chapter 1 and um, two times, and in Job chapter 2, right before really bad stuff happens, it's uh, Job writes, or whoever wrote the book of Job, it says, on a certain day. And it says, on a day. There was a day. And that's how it, that's how it starts. And you know if somebody says, there's a day, uh-oh, something's going to happen. On a certain day that he got into a boat with his disciples, and he said to them, let us cross over to the other side of the lake. And they launched out, but as they sailed, he fell asleep, and a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in jeopardy. And they came to him and awoke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. Then he arose, rebuked the wind and the raging of the water, and they ceased, and there was a great calm. But he said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid and marveled, saying to one another, Who can this be? For he commands even the winds and water, and they obey him. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this time that we can get together, gather together in your word. And Lord, I pray that we'd be able to apply these things in our lives, that you would transform us and change us. God, I thank you for what you have done inside of me and that I am a work in progress. Um, as Paul said, not that I've already attained, but I press on. Um, and I'm pressing on, Lord. And I know that you're good and that you're going to take care of each one of us. So Lord, be with us. Fill us with your spirit that we might have anointed hearts, ears, minds, to be able to hear what the Spirit says to the church. 
Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So Psalm 107 is very similar to Matthew and Luke's story. In Psalm 107, verses uh, 23, starting with verse 23 through 24, it says, Those who go down to the sea on ships who do business on great waters see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. So those who do business on the sea are engaged in doing what they're supposed to do. They're just going out to work. They're going out, they're going to go fishing, or they're, whatever they're doing out on the sea, right? And they're going to do their job, they're going to get their catch, and they're going to come back, and they're going to sell their fish, or eat their fish, or whatever it is they want to do. And that's just their job. That's just what they do. It's a certain day. And they go out and they do business, like all of us, right? We all have a job, or we have something to do. And we, we go and do it. And it just happens that something in what we do, something gets disrupted. Doesn't it always? You know, it's so um, amazing. I remember being in church and uh, before on a Sunday morning, and we would get there, you know, maybe a couple hours before service. Worship team would practice, and it would be horrible. I mean, we could go get, like, cats to sing, and they would sound better. Tom cats would sound better. And everything would break. I mean, like, I'd break a string or, or you know, and, uh, or the amps wouldn't work, or something like that, right? It'd be ter terrible. Or we'd be at each other's throats, you know, like, I said 4-4, four, four. you're playing 3 Something. I don't even know what that is, right? <laughs> and then the time comes, and we pray, and we go on, and the people fill up the chairs, and we lead worship, and it's sweet. And they have no idea. Right? And sometimes that happens. Sometimes that happens, and it's, it's, it's just called a day. Right? It's just what happens. And the Lord is working inside of us to do it. So that's what's happening here, is they're doing their normal work, and it's just a day. My testimony. In April of 2014, I had just returned from a missions trip teaching pastors in Phnom Penh, Cambodia. I started getting fevers and was very fatigued. After some time, I was diagnosed with stage 3 renal cell carcinoma, an aggressive form of kidney cancer. After some tests, doctors determined I had a seven centimeter tumor on my kidney and they were going to determine if it was operable. My oncologist called and confirmed the diagnosis of cancer. I remember that day we were waiting and we didn't know what was going to happen. We were just waiting and my wife took a nap and she's laying in bed and I got the call. And I come, in, I come up next to her, and I'm talking to my oncologist. And he said, and he's the, the nicest guy in the world. His name is Dr. Arzamanian. He's just the greatest guy. And uh, I mean, he saved my life. God used him to save my life. And so he, um, he said to me, uh, ah, he goes, it, does, it looks like it is uh, kidney cancer. 
and we are going to have to do um, you know, surgery. And so I, I went to my urologist, um, and uh, he set up an appointment uh, down in, in Texas. But when we got that call, that confirmed kidney cancer, I looked at her, I knelt down beside the bed and held her hand, and we prayed, and then we cried, and we prayed, and we cried. And the next thing I had to do was to go and tell my boys. I have three boys. Um, so right now they are 23, 25, and 32. And, um, but at the time, they were 23, 17, and 15. And so I went and told them, and I said, uh, hey, guys, I'm, and I, I asked Monica, I say, well, come with me. And she said, no. She, won't, she said, I won't be able to survive that. I'll just, I'll start bawling, crying, and I can't do it. So she went in the kitchen. And I gathered the kids around, and I said, hey, guys, come here. I need to tell you something. And I told them, uh, and they stared at me. They stared for a long time, and their lips were quivering. And I said, it's OK, guys. You can let it out. And then they just burst out crying. And then I can hear my wife crying in the kitchen at that point. And they were just bawling. And I said, guys, I'm not going to die tomorrow. It's OK. I said, we're, we're going to fight. And uh, then I answered any questions that they might have. I didn't really know too much at that time, so I, I answered the best I could. So my first operation, like I said, was in Dallas, Texas, on July 1st, 2014, where they removed my left kidney, which contained the tumor. Doctors determined that the cancer did not spread anywhere else in the body, and I was on the mend. Everything looked great. Profound things happen on ordinary days. I had no idea the journey that would happen when I got back to normal life. See, on a certain day, the disciples followed Jesus into a boat. And Jesus telling them that they would go to the other side of the lake. As they began to sail, Jesus fell asleep while a storm arose on the sea. A storm like no other was about to rise in my life that would shake me to the core. Eight weeks later, I went back to work. But then soon I started feeling fatigued again. You know, it's kind of a, a weird irony. So I was a photojournalist, right, for a local newspaper in Fort Smith. And, um, and they needed help uh, on, because um, I, I had a hard time going out in the field, although I loved it. And when I got too ill to uh, carry my, my equipment with me, my wife Monica became my mule. So. She was able to carry my stuff around for me. But so they decided to put me on a desk. And so I'm sitting there on the desk, and, and the, <laughs> what I covered was obituaries. And I was like, thanks a lot. I told my editor, thanks a lot. I appreciate that. So sorry, but that's what we need. OK. So, so I've, I fell asleep uh, at the Ovitz desk. and. Uh, she found me and um, my editor, and she goes, I think you need to go home. There's something going on. And I said, I don't know what it is, but OK. And I went home, and we're trying to figure out what was going on. Fevers happen, fatigue. 
and my left leg started getting really numb. And so I went to my primary care doctor and I asked him, you know, what should we do? And he said, well, we need to go to uh, your oncologist. So he gave me a referral. I went to the oncologist and uh, he scheduled a bone scan to see if the cancer was back. And so I said, uh, I said, okay, well, let's do it. And the night before the bone scan, I was uh, changing. And I think I was putting on some, um, uh, some jammy bottoms. And as I was doing that, my uh, left leg gave out and I fell on the floor. And we have about that, maybe like a quarter inch of carpet. <laughs> and the rest of it's concrete. So uh, I hit that floor, and I was in so much pain. And of course, I'm a, a guy, so I was like, I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> and uh, Monica said, you need to go to the ER. I said, no, I'm good. And uh, two of my boys picked me up and put me in bed. And, and then I said, OK, that's it. I got to go. So I went to the ER. And while I was there at the ER, um, they put me in a room, um, an isolated room, because I'm a cancer patient. And uh, then they gave me a CT scan. And while I was waiting for the results, I looked at Monica and I said, uh, I thought, wow, um, this is a, or this is just crazy. What's going on? So. Um, the ER doctor walked in, and he looked at us, and he said, oh, you don't have a back problem. He said, your cancer's back. And I was like, wait a minute, what? Rewind that part. I want to hear that part again. What? And he goes, oh, yeah, well, you, you have cancer. It's back in your spine. And he's like, OK, well, I'll, I'll do the paperwork. And it was like he was just checking off you know, a CT scan. Tell the guy he's got cancer, <laughs> put him, you know what I'm saying? That's kind of how it was. And I was like, oh. And um, he left to go um, admit me, get the paperwork done. And, and I looked at my wife and I said, uh, I was laying in a stretcher at that point. And I looked at her and I said, I wonder if I'll be here for Christmas. See, uh, I had the first surgery in July. And it was now October. And I figured the cancer was unstoppable. I was now stage four, metastatic, RCC. It uh, had gone into my, my nerves, my spine, my muscles. You know, faith was necessary to get through everything I went through. In Psalm 107, 25 to 26, it says, for he commands the winds and raises the stormy wind, which lifts up the waves of the sea. They mount up to the heavens. They go down again to the depths. Their soul melts because of trouble. The boat that the disciples were in began to fill with water. And they were concerned that they would be killed as the boat sunk. You see, I felt the same way as cancer, like the water was filling my spine, like it was filling the disciples' boat. I went by ambulance the next day. The ambulance driver was super, super, super exhausted. And it was, uh, he drove by Braille the whole time there. So you know how he was driving down the road. Oh, he's got to go over. 
do, 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 do. And, I was, and even the person that was back with me, the, the EMT, she kept going, are you okay over there? Are you okay? And, and I'm like, I'm dead. I mean, I guess I'm dead this way rather than cancer, you know? <laughs> so I went down to um, St. Vincent's Infirmary in Little Rock, Arkansas. And after that ride, I was placed in a room in the NICU, NSICU. And I met Dr. Stephen Shafizadeh, my neurosurgeon. He discussed different options with me and said that he would get a team of doctors together and come up with a plan in the next few days. Later, what he told me was that he was looking for a general surgeon that would get him to my spine so he could remove the cancer from my body. We looked at the medical records and found where the general surgeon who eventually took the job explained to me that the risk for this kind of surgery was high. He expected me to die in surgery. The general surgeon stated, the risk and complications were discussed with him, Steve, in detail, including post-operative bleeding, infection, and numerous other possible complications regarding this big undertaking. Consent to surgery stated decline of condition and death. He expected me to die on the table. Later, my doctor told me that, um, that he couldn't find a general surgeon. And every single one of them was, were telling him, the guy's stage four. Why are you doing this? I mean, he's dead. Just send him home. There's no, there's no use in, in doing this. And uh, he finally found a wacko crazy general surgeon, which I love wacko crazy, that's good. Um, and uh, he, he did the job. See, before I went into surgery though, I, had, I was so weak that they put me in physical rehabilitation for, for a few days to get strong enough for the surgeries. I would have three surgeries at this time. I already had one previous in Texas, now three more. The first was on November 1st, 2014, to embolize the tumor to keep me from bleeding to death. It took five and a half hours. The second was on November 10th, 2014, where the surgeons removed tumors from my spine, nerves, and psoas muscle. An assisting neurosurgeon, his name was Dr. Raja, held the nerves as Dr. Shafizadeh scraped the cancer off of each one. They also removed two of my vertebrae, the L2 and L3, and put a cage in their place. During the surgery, they had to collapse my lung in order to reach the area affected by cancer. This surgery took seven and a half hours. The third was on November 18th, 2014, where they implemented metal rods and screws on my spine from T10 to pelvis. This surgery was so long that a friend told us that he expected my wife to post on Facebook that Steve had gone home to be with the Lord. It was 10 hours. So this is what it looked like. That's uh, when they first did it. That's just after surgery, maybe a few days. Uh, CT scan, uh, you can see uh, one of the, um, the leads or whatever that was right there up in the top left. But so they put this in. The second, this one has, it shows you the picture of the side view and it has um, the cage. You can see right there in the middle. 
and that's holding my L2, L3 uh, together. It's holding the spine together. Go ahead and go to the next one. That shows you the spine broke, or the, the metal broke, I should say. Um, I was bending over at one point to get something. I just kind of leaning, and I heard snap. And I was like, what was that? And I kind of thought for a minute. I was like, OK, ah, I don't feel anything, so I guess I'm OK. Not really. Um, so as you can see, the, it broke. And we talked to another neurosurgeon, and the neurosurgeon um, said that the metal in the spine like this, by the way, I was one of only 20 people to ever get this at the time. Now a lot of people are getting this. But um, anyway, the metal only lasts like five years. And something has to be replaced, right? The things have to be replaced. Um, which shows you, my neurosurgeon, he must have thought, since I only had a 40% chance of living past three years, and an 8% chance of living past five, there, you know, there's not going to be a need for anything. But now, eight years later, I have, I have that. Um, go ahead. That's what I wanted them to do, but they wouldn't do it. <laughs> Um, a friend of mine is a, another pastor. He, um, he brought his little um, granddaughter uh, to our house in Arkansas, and we were talking uh, to her. And I showed her this, these pictures because she asked me about the brace. She's like, what's that? She's like, at the time, I think she was eight years old. And so um, I said, well, let me show you what's in, in there. I showed her this picture. And I showed her this last one. She goes, <gasps> she goes, does that hurt? I said, every time, right? <laughs> Every time. That's from, you know, you guys know what that's from, right? Okay. I wish they would have put adamantium and whatever in there, and that would be great. Um, so to put this into perspective, it was 23 hours of surgery in 11 days. Have you ever felt as if God was asleep while you uh, were experiencing intense pain and suffering? I have. See, in Psalm 107, 27 through 28, it says, they reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man and are at their wit's end. Then they cry out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brings them out of their distress. They went to Jesus, whom they still found asleep. Those disciples didn't. And they woke him. He gets up, rebukes the wind, and the raging sea, and there was an immediate calm. It's not clear if Jesus rebuked the wind and the sea first, or if he asked about their faith first. Why does this stand out to me? Because it's different every single time. Sometimes God will ask us to trust him, then he'll change the circumstances. Other times, God will change the circumstances and then ask us why we couldn't trust him a little longer. For me, it was definitely before. I needed to trust God before my circumstance would ever change. After my surgery, I experienced an intense amount of darkness. I kept crying and was emotional. Usually when Christians talk about going through something like this, at least I've heard testimonies that they say uh, something like, oh, I was at perfect peace. The angels surrounded me and I saw butterflies and rainbows. 
I didn't. My body had gone through so much physical exhaustion and pain that it affected me on an emotional, psychological, and even spiritual level. It was the most difficult fight I had ever experienced. I sought the Lord, and he provided my wife, Monica, who stayed by my side through it all. She is amazing. Um, I, I just grew up having this fear of any kind of medicine, right? And um, so I didn't want anything. I didn't know what was going into my body. So I had this real aversion. And, but I knew that Monica knew stuff about medicine. And she knew what was good and what was bad. And she would take care of me. So I could rest at ease when she was there. But when she wasn't, I was not at ease. And so um, she had to stay with me. That means she couldn't go shower, she couldn't go eat, any of that kind of stuff. So curiously, whenever she wanted to go get go eat something, all of a sudden I would start to doze off, uh, and I'd be out. She'd go do what she wants and come back. And uh, yeah, the nurses were going, "Did you? Do you need a break?" Okay, right in the uh, <laughs> IV, and I was like, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> and then I wake up and she's right there. Oh, okay, she's good. But she was. She was there for me. And um, you know, cancer patients get cranky, and um, and I was, I've been cranky, and and she's put up with me, and she's been a blessing. You never get sleep in the hospital. Um, I don't know what it is about nurses, but they always want to wake you up at four o'clock in the morning. Because of my collapsed lung, they had to do daily X-rays to see if uh, they were filling properly. I also had to do breathing exercises. And the portable x-ray machine must have been from the children's area because it had a large base, a head and neck, where they would point the machine at me to take the x-ray, and spots all over it, making it look like a giraffe. <laughs> they would wheel it in. Then they would have to put a film board behind me in bed. And uh, man, it stiffened my back. And I, was, I just had back surgery, so I was in so much pain <clears throat> doing it. And I fought the nurses. Um, which made me stiffen up even more, caused me even more pain. Every morning I would wake up and ask the nurse, I would go, are they going to bring in the giraffe? She goes, giraffe? And then she'd look at Monica, what is he talking about? Too much drugs or what? <laughs> and she goes, oh, he's talking about the x-ray machine. And then she would laugh. <laughs> so. You know what's funny is I've never seen that ever, looking up portable x-ray machines. I've never seen this, right? And since I've been telling this story, then all of a sudden, an x-ray machine has a giraffe. I wonder, I wonder. <laughs> I need to be getting some, some sort of uh, royalties from that idea. <laughs> um, I remember on the day that I was released, and I said, praise the Lord, because it had been 18 days in ICU. And then altogether, it was like five weeks in the hospital. And man, hospital food is great, but not for that long. And I was ready to go. And so um, I said, praise the Lord. And Dr. Raja uh, said, oh, yes, praise the Lord. I told your wife, it was not us that did this surgery. It was too complex. There was an angel in the room that did it. They were all amazed at how well I was doing. So I was never in real, any real danger. That sounds kind of funny, huh? See, the storm in my life could cease it at a moment. 
um, God's, God could just speak a word, and then all, everything could be done. Earlier in Luke's account, Jesus told the disciples that they would make it to the other side of the lake. While going through a horrible circumstance, we must cling to his precious promises. For me, some of them were, we went through the fire and through the water, but you brought us out to rich fulfillment. Psalm 66, 12. The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears and delivers them out of their troubles. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and save such as have a contrite spirit. That's Psalm 34, 17 through 18. And then in Psalm 23, especially, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And then last, we already read this, but this is just a little portion of it. Um, 2 Corinthians 1, 9-10, it says, Yes, we have the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a death, and does deliver us, in whom we trust that he will still deliver us. These are only a few of the many promised uh, scriptures that God gave me as I struggle. The reason I say I was never in any real danger is not that the cancer wasn't real and couldn't kill me. It is because either way, whether I live or die, I am with the Lord. The, Lord, the pain is real, the difficulty overwhelming, but the Lord is amazing. So he rebuked the wind and the sea. He asked them why their faith was so small. When they heard Jesus and saw the calm sea, they were amazed. They knew Jesus as a great teacher and even the king of the Jews, Messiah. They did not realize that he had the authority over nature as he did. I started to get better. The winds were dying down and slowly I was realizing the miracle that God done in, had done inside of me. I was at the Health South Rehabilitation Center for almost a week, beginning in a wheelchair, unable to walk steadily, then to a walker. This is after I was released from the hospital. And then I had six months of outpatient physical therapy as well. I remember going in from an appointment with Dr. Shafizadeh, and you know how you have those little exam rooms that you meet with your doctor in. And so I go in, and, um, and he said, how are you doing? And, and all that, and he goes, I need you to take a couple steps so I can, I, I can see how you're doing. I said, okay, and I went for the door to open the door to walk in the hallway. And he goes, oh, no, no, I don't want to overtax you. And I said, uh, okay, and I took a couple steps in there, and he goes, okay, let's go in the hallway. And so he goes down, and he comes back, I mean, and I come back, I go down, I come back from the hallway, and he goes like this, he goes, can I film that? I said, yeah, and so he films. And then he goes in, and I walk in, and he's sitting there in the chair, and he goes like, he's like this. And, and he goes, you have to understand, when somebody who presents the way you presented, we're just saving your life. We thought you would be a, a paraplegic or a quadriplegic. We never expected you to actually walk. I mean, it was, it's a miracle, right? And... It, 
it was just, I remember one time we, we went out to dinner with, or to lunch with him, um, and he, there was this pizza place, it's great, it's very good pizza. And, um, and anyway, the, it's, it's a weird building where you have the, the, um, the kitchen is downstairs. And then you go upstairs, and that's the dining area upstairs. It's in Little Rock. And so, um, so I'm walking with him, and he's in front of me, and we're going for the stairs. And I take a step up the stair, and he goes, wait, can you do this? And I looked at him and went, Doc. And he goes, oh, OK. And, so, and I, walked, I walked all the way upstairs with him, and, and we had a great time. He even has power over the storms. He calms the storm so that its waves are still. Then they are glad because they are quiet, so he guides them to their desired haven. That's Psalm 107, 19 through 30. I'm sorry, 29 through 30. There was only one being that could have that kind of control, and that's God himself. In the medical record, Dr. Shafizadeh wrote this. There was significant blood loss. Some muscle mass of psoas uh, muscle was removed with the cancer mass. And he said, I've seen the muscle where the cancer was with my own eyes. You should not be walking. And he went on to say that he believes that God actually was the one who did this. There's no other explanation. See, um, do you know what psoas is? So as is this muscle right here, and it allows you to do this, right? And I shouldn't be doing this, because he said he removed a significant portion of that muscle. So it's just amazing what God has done. And in conclusion, it says in Psalm 107, 31 through 32, isn't that cool? Um, I took that picture. He, he walked. I was taking pictures of surfers, and he walked right behind me, and, and then he just dropped on his knees. And I don't know, he could be praying to the surfing gods or something. <laughs> I don't know who he's praying to, but, but it's awesome. It's, I've used this one as a meme for, in Acts where, where it says um, that we, we, knelt by, uh, we knelt down by the sea and prayed. And it's like perfect for this picture. But this is awesome, too. It says... Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Let them exalt him also in the assembly of the people and praise him in the company of the elders. Only God could have done the work inside of me. I live because he wants me to live, and I'll go to be with him when he wants me to accomplish or what he wants me to accomplish is done. Paul said this to the Philippians, For me to live is Christ and die is gain. So what do we do? We give thanks for his goodness. He delivers. He brings us to our desired haven. Think about this. Where will you spend eternity? When I think about the desired haven, I don't necessarily think about being healed. I think about being in heaven, right? Because um, his promises are true. I remember when I was uh, close to death, I'd been there about three or four times where I was just, I probably had weeks left. And, um, and I remember feeling that, that I could be in heaven soon. 
And it, it kind of excited me. Like part of my body was like, no, no, I don't want to die, right? And then the other part is, I don't mind dying. I just don't like the process of dying, <laughs> right? And then the other part of me was like, shut up, you two. I'm going to heaven, right? <laughs> and, and so I would, be, I was, I would use uh, Ezekiel, Daniel, Revelation as travel brochures. So I'm looking at, oh, yeah, that's what, I'm going to be able to know what a wheel and a wheel is. This is great, you know, all that kind of stuff. So, so finally, an update. Uh, I had been the pastor of the Calvary Chapel in Fort Smith, Arkansas. But being a pastor is a ministry of presence. And I was not able to be present for the people. I could teach, but uh, not able to do the little things that add up to what a pastor is all about. Like you know, your pastor is a counselor for you. Your pastor loves you. Uh, he does weddings, I'm sure, funerals, uh, hospital visits. I guess the people could have visited me in the hospital. Um, but it's uh, home visits and the like. So like me, the church was dying. And I asked somebody why people were not coming. And they said with tears that they were having a hard time watching their pastor die. I was indeed dying, and something had to be done. So I transitioned the church to another pastor in October of 2017, then searched for a clinical trial I could be part of uh, for my kind of cancer. The only viable option was uh, to be uh, was in City of Hope in Southern California. We have our own space in um, with Monica's brother in California, um, and and his wife and daughters as well. Uh, we have we own a home in Arkansas, so we go back and forth between the two, uh, depending upon the medical needs. I wrote a book about my testimony and the hope that God has given me in the midst of the battle. Stage four cancer can always come back. In fact, cancer did return, this time in my lungs and sacrum. I was also diagnosed with a secondary bladder cancer. I guess that was just for fun. I remember when the doctor diagnosed me, he goes, yeah, it looks like you have bladder cancer. And I went, eh. And he goes, yeah, with what you have. <laughs> Because usually, if, say if the doctor goes, you have bladder cancer, it's like, no! And he's like, man, man. Doesn't matter with you, I guess. Um, so my book gives a lot more details. Um, currently, I have four very small nodules in my lungs. Uh, but I'm standing. I'm telling you all about the hope of heaven. My surgeon believes that God did this for me because I'm a good person. He's Baha'i. So he, he always believes he goes, you're a good person. That's why God did this for you. But I'm nobody special. If God did it for me, he could easily do it for you. Remember, visit our website, uh, stage four, with a number four, ministries.com for more information. And visit our table right outside those doors where I would love to listen to your story, encourage, and pray with you. And finally, are you facing a difficult situation? Do you need hope? Is life weighing you down? Then let me tell you, there is no one better to run to than Jesus. He loves you so much. He died for your sins, and he rose again that you might have the hope of heaven. Do you want that hope? What is it worth to you? Let's pray.
Father, we come before you. We thank you so much that you're so good. You're full of grace. And you carry us through the storms of life. And so, Father, I pray right now for the people that are here. Since I'm a guest, I really don't know who is a regular person here, who is just invited today. Um, I don't know any of that. Perhaps maybe there's even some people here that have been attending for a while, but maybe their walk is just not right. So just pray for them right now, that if there's anybody here that needs the hope of heaven, that they would acknowledge that now. In their hearts, they would acknowledge that they need you, Jesus. And then, Father, in a room like this, there's, I'm sure, a ton of people that are that have been affected by cancer, terminal illness in family or them personally. And so I just want to pray for them right now that you would touch their hearts and that you would minister to them, Lord, that you'd wrap your arms around them, show them how much you care, even though it seems like all hope is lost, that there is great hope in you. So we love you, Lord. We ask you that you'd be with each and every person here, Lord, as they seek you and seek to know you and to love you and to love others. Thank you so much, Father. If you're a person here and you are someone that is, uh, you need Jesus in your life right now, um, there are corners here, right? There are people that will pray for you. And if you, um, if, if that's you, go and talk to those people get your life right with Jesus today. It's the most important thing that can ever happen. The reason why I'm standing strong in the Lord is not because I'm just this good person and I was able to do it, but I made a decision, and that decision was made years ago when I was 16 years old. I decided to follow Jesus and give my life to him, and that's why I can stand now. So it's the most important thing you can do in your life. So do that. And if you are a person that's been touched by cancer or a family member that's been touched by cancer, Monica and I will be right outside that door at the table. We'd love to listen to your story. We'd love to pray with you. So uh, may the Lord bless you and keep you and make you strong. Thank you for letting me be here.